0: for them spring.
1: into our hearts, into our hearts. Come into our heart, Lord Jesus. Come in today, come in to stay. Come into our hearts, Lord Jesus. That is always my prayer as I prepare to preach. And I trust it is your prayer as you tune into this ministry. My name is Hal Brady, thank you for joining us. And I pray that the message and the music will be a special blessing. I'm gonna read a couple of verses from the New English Bible. From a little letter to James. Would you hear please the reading of God's Word, first chapter, beginning at this verse. A man may think he is religious, but if he has no control over his tongue, he's deceiving himself. That man's religion is futile. The kind of religion which is without stain or fault in the sight of God our Father is this, to go to the help of orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself untarnished by the world. The word of God for the people of God, thanks be to God. Would you join me, please, for prayer? O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O oh Lord, which art our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Some time ago, a very confused and disturbed university student asked in great sincerity, What is the good of your religion? Today, I'd like to take liberty and rearrange that student's words and ask, Is yours good religion? I'd like to ask you this because there's so much to be classified as bad religion. Martin Luther once said there's no more sin in humankind's sex life than in his or her religious life. Of course he was referring to bad religion. With his characteristic bluntness, Luther stated a fact that we religious folk ought never to forget, namely that religion can become an instrument of the devil. It's like water, it can refresh and cleanse, or it can engulf and drown. Think with me if you will of some of the things that religion has done in history that must be classified as bad religion. It's bloody wars, it's cruel persecutions, it's horrible rituals of human sacrifice, it's often one-way rightness and it's overriding prejudice. Now think of some of the attitudes of bad religion. A little girl in Texas promised that she would play the sad songs on the black keys if only her mother would let her play the piano on Sunday. I read of an elderly lady who wouldn't eat ice cream. Said she, anything that good must be bad. A teenager up in the country was overheard to say to a donkey, Why, you must be a Christian. You have a long face like Grandpa. So much for bad religion. How then would you characterize good religion? The apostle James said, The kind of religion which is without stain or fault in the sight of God our Father is this. To go to the help of orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself untarnished by the world." Now James is saying here that a person's relationship to God is built upon a simple and sincere devotion to God that ever demonstrates itself in compassionate concern toward one's fellow human beings. And as we listen to James, we can't help but hear the voice of the prophet Micah as he comes echoing through the years. He has showed you, O humankind, what is good, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. In the name of good religion, we are challenged. For nothing is more important today than lives, homes, and churches where Christianity is at its best. So what then characterizes good religion? The first quality that characterizes good religion is a first-hand personal experience. As Micah put it, there is simply no other way. The scripture says, he or she that hath the Son hath life. He or she that hath not the Son of God hath not life. What is eternal life? It's the life of God himself. And we Christians, as believers in Jesus Christ, are promised a share of this life, and this is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. But today, so many moderns are only second-hand Christians. To them, Christianity is formal and not vital. They've borrowed their religion, they've inherited it from their families, they've married it, or they've even adopted it as the fashion of their peer group. In essence, their religion is only a mark of their respectability. As one time President of Harvard put it, one of the world's greatest needs is for people with real religious experience, people who know God and not just know about God. So how do we come to know God anyway? Perhaps there's guidance for us in thinking of a way in which we come to truly know another person. It's not by letter-writing or long-distance conversations that we come to know another person. It's not even by talking to a third person, although we might gain valuable information that way. The one best way to know another person is to do things together, to share in a common task or purpose. Now, all of us have had opportunity of working on a committee with someone we didn't know. As we worked with this person in a common task, perhaps argued with them, laughed with them, cried with them, prayed with them, we probably came to know this person better than some people with whom we've had a speaking acquaintance for years and years. Thus, the experience of knowing God may come to us. It's not by struggling with abstract ideas or definitions or theories that we come to know God. The one best way to know God is to participate in his purposes. And that's what Jesus seems to be saying. He says, if you want to do God's will, you'll know whether my teaching comes from God or whether I merely speak on my own authority. So, good religion is a first-hand personal experience. A well-known minister said he was flying to a distant city to preach. And he said he remembered going to the airport. It was a dark, dismal, rainy day. He said he boarded the airplane and he said for 30 minutes, the plane went up through the crowds and finally it got over the clouds and there was the clear sky, just as blue as ever. He said he went along for about two hours and then they landed in the distant city. He said people who met him came up to him and they were distressed by all the rain and they were saying, is this how it's all going to end? Is this the final state of things? That minister said, all that day as I moved around in the slush and the mud, I had a feeling that I knew a secret. He said, these clouds are lies. He said, the sun is the truth. The blue sky is still shining. He said, just knowing this made a difference in the way I felt all that dismal day long. That's something of what it means to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Listen to these words. I had walked life's way with an easy tread had followed where comforts and pleasures led, until one day, in a quiet place, I met the master face to face. With station and rank and wealth for my gold, much thought for my body, but none for my soul, I had entered to win in life's mad race when I met the master face to face. I met him and knew him and blushed to see that his eyes full of sorrow were fixed on me, and I faltered and fell at his feet that day, while my castles melted and vanished away. Melted and vanished and in their place, no else could I see but the master's face. My thought is now for the souls of men. I've lost my life to find it again, ere since one day in a quiet place, I met the Master face to face. Let us never be content with a second-hand Christianity. Like Paul, let us know in whom we have believed. The second quality which characterizes good religion is a meaningful prayer life. It seems that this teenage boy was driving his car up the road with his best girl in it, All of a sudden, he stopped the car, looked at his girl, and said, If I had a hundred eyes, they'd all want to behold your beauty. If I had a hundred arms, they'd all want to hold you close. If I had a hundred lips, they'd all want to kiss you. The girl looked at him and said, Oh, shut up. You ain't using what you got. If we're not involved in meaningful prayer, we're not using what we have. What is religion? Religion is nothing in the world but humankind's attempt to reach God. Prayer is the way that's going to happen. If God is ever claimed by humankind and humankind's wrestling with him, or if humankind is ever apprehended by God, or if one grows in grace, or if one's weaknesses are perfected into strengths, or if one gets caught up to the third heaven in great ecstasy as was Paul, it's going to be through the experience of prayer. Years ago when I was pastor of Clayton Church up in North Georgia, I remember one Tuesday morning, a woman came to me, two women, And they said, we want to start a prayer group. Now, this is not the church saying to these women, we want to start a prayer group. These are the women saying to the church, we want to start a prayer group. So on that Tuesday, 15 women and I began that prayer group. on that first day, not a single one of those women could pray out loud. But this is about 35 years later. And now, if anything happens to anybody In Clayton, they want to get their name on that prayer group's list. Why? Because those people have learned how to prevail with God. And if you won't tell the bishop I said this, every one of those women can pray just as well as any bishop I have ever heard. I remember years ago going to pastor school and hearing Dr. Hoover Rupert preach. He said that he had always wanted to see the church that housed that beautiful statue of Christ in Copenhagen. And he said one day, he happened to be there, and he went to a policeman. He asked him where the church was, and the policeman showed him where the church was. He said he ran down to the door of the church. He saw that statue of Jesus down at the altar, but he couldn't see his face. He said, I've got a minute. I'll just see what the sculptors thought the disciples were like. So he started running his hands down the disciples' feet all the time, noticing the people moving around in the sanctuary But finally, when he got down right to the end, he could see that statue so clearly, but he couldn't see his face. Finally, when he got right under the statue, he noticed the sanctuary was empty. He just dropped down to his knees, and when he looked up, he was looking straight into the eyes of the master. And then he said something I've always remembered. He said, you know, we must kneel at his feet before we can look into the master's face. He's right about that. We must kneel at his feet before we can look into the master's face. There's absolutely nothing can take the place of meaningful prayer in a good, active religion and in religion's life, our faith. The third quality that characterizes good religion is a practical down-to-earth service to somebody in need. The late Dr. Harry Emerson Fosdick observed, religion can be easygoing, apathetic about the world's needs, a kind of modern monasticism that retreats from the challenging problems of society and seeks only peace of mind. In Jesus' eyes, that would be poor religion. What was, what did Jesus say? He said, I must be about my father's business. What was his father's business? It was this world and all of the relationships of the world. That was his business. He said, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father who is in heaven. Jesus' day-by-day life was service to every sort of human need he could reach. Sir Alfred Zimmerman, was one of yesterday's leading experts in international affairs. He was walking through the gardens of Oxford University with a friend. This friend turned to him and said, Sir Alfred, what in your opinion is the greatest obstacle between us and the building of an enduring world peace? Sir Alfred unhesitatingly said, the small-scale individual. Too many people deserve that title, concerned about a personal salvation while this world of ours is going straight to hell as fast as it can go. And I remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John had a vision of Moses, Elijah, and Christ. They were transfigured. You remember, they wanted to freeze the experience. They said, this is holy ground. This is where God is. Let us stay here. If you'll let us stay here, I'll be able to shrine to each one of you. But Jesus said, and I'm paraphrasing, not on your life. We've got to go back down the hill, back to the valley, back to the people, and back to the struggle. And the first person he confronted when he got down there was the father of an epileptic boy. This is what good religion is. It's turning the other cheek. It's offering a cup of cold water. It's giving your coat, It's doing all those sorts of wonderful things, going to the help of widows and orphans in their distress, as James put it. You know, I'm from a town in LaGrange, and I shared this before, but there was a little lady in that town named Ethel Young. And every Sunday for 25 years, she went to the city-county jail to teach the prisoners their Sunday school lesson. It didn't matter to her whether they committed a minor or a major crime, whether they were black or white or whatever. Every Sunday for 25 years, she was there. And then one Sunday, she got sick and couldn't go. She showed me a card that she had received, much like the cards that we would send or receive. When I opened up this card there written in the messiest handwriting I've ever seen with these words, we miss you very much, signed your boys, at the City County Jail. This is what good religion is all about. It's doing whatever it takes to make life better for the folks coming behind us. And then the fourth quality which characterizes good religion is a freedom from prejudice. A freedom from prejudice. I remember some years back I walked up my... Back porch steps, and I noticed a sign that had been tacked there by two little boys. It said, Boys Club, six, seven, eight, and nine, no girls allowed. I immediately knew to whom that prejudice was directed. It was a little four-year-old girl who happened to be one of the fair-headed boy's sisters. Now, this freedom from prejudice about which I speak is a freedom of all kinds of prejudice, racial prejudice, generational prejudice, sectional prejudice, religious prejudice, denominational prejudice. Theological prejudice. Jesus Christ absolutely was opposed to prejudice. What a portrayal of Christ's prejudice is. He faced prejudice all his life. His people, the Jews, discriminated against the Samaritans. So what did he do? He found a good Samaritan. And he told them that parable about a good Samaritan. These same Jews hated the Romans. So he found a Roman centurion of outstanding character. And he said, I have not found so great a faith in all of Israel as this Roman centurion. These same Jews hated their neighbors, the Sidonians. So Jesus went into the pulpit and he said, When Elijah was a prophet, there were many widows, but God called him to go see Zephyr in the land of Sidon. She was a widow. Go see Zephyr. You've heard the name Ray Stevens, I'm sure. Ray Stevens sang this song. All the children in the world, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in God's sight. Well, if you've been keeping up with the news, you know things are not too good among God's little children in the world tonight. Now, obviously, we cannot, as one lone individual, put an end to prejudice everywhere in the world. It's just too big for us. But if we ourselves could be less prejudiced, we could make a dent in all that prejudice and make the world better than it is. We have people right now who are struggling in demonstrations People appearing before Congress trying to get the rights of people that ought to have them simply because they're human beings. So a freedom from prejudice is the fourth quality of good religion. And the last quality of good religion I'm going to mention, and I like to talk about this one, is victorious joy. Someone said a gloomy Christian is a contradiction in terms. Bishop Charles Mead, a Methodist bishop, was preaching one night in a church. His little son was sitting up on the first row and the little son was making a game of counting the lights of the arch over the pulpit. He named them for books in the Bible, Isaiah, Hosea, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Amos. When he got home, the bishop noticed his little boy was all down in the dumps. He said, son, what's wrong with you? He said, it's Lamentations. Lamentations has gone out. Well, let her go. We could do with a little less lamentations in the camp of the Lord and a little more joy. There are some things in this world we cannot rejoice about, but if we give up our joy and become depressed and down and out about the world's condition, we will have given up our Christian credentials. Seriously speaking, if anybody's religion is good, it's joyful. Jesus said, your heart shall rejoice and nobody can take your joy from you. You know where he was when he said that? He was on the way to the cross. He was telling his disciples, you're going to have some hardship and some discord and difficulty in the world, but you're also going to possess a radiant joy that no one is going to be able to take from you. And after the resurrection, the people noticed that those disciples were living in that kind of atmosphere. They noticed they had been with Jesus. In other words, their joy was contagious. Good religion is joyful because it sees profound meaning in life and knows profound strength concerning life. There was a a business man that said to his minister, he said, I'd like you to pick up my wife at the airport. I can't go because I've got some business to attend to. The minister said, I'll be glad to pick up your wife, but I don't know how will I be able to tell her. He said, oh, that's easy. He said, when the whole dismal place lights up as if the sun suddenly came from behind the clouds, just find the source of that radiance, and that'll be my wife. Isn't that marvelous? We know people like that. My prayer is that we also are people like that well there you have them the five qualities that i'm going to mention of good religion a first-hand personal experience a meaningful prayer life a down-to-earth service to somebody in need a freedom from prejudice and a victorious joy now give me just another minute and i'll be i'll be finished here's Saul of tarsus he's holding the clothes of people while they are stoning the first christian martyr stephen to death what drove Saul to hold those clothes for those people while they were killing that first Christian martyr. His religion. Now we see Saul, he's moving up the road to Damascus. He's going to persecute the Christians there. What drives him on that bloody mission? Once again, his religion. Now Saul is no longer Saul. He's been converted. He's Paul. He's the Apostle Paul. He's got some age on him now. He's writing at the desk, now faith, hope, love, abide, these three but the greatest of these is love. What inspires that, again, his religion? So as I said, there's absolutely nothing more important in this world today than lives, homes, and churches where Christianity is truly good, truly Christian. Let us pray. Lord, we're thankful for these qualities of good religion. We pray, O God, that we possess those qualities and that others can see these qualities in us we pray, oh God, you'd use us to make a better world, to make a difference, to relieve the hurting that many people are going through, and to help gain peace where there is discord, and to help gain joy where there is unhappiness. Thank you again for this time together. My prayer is that you'll bless all those who are watching and listening. It's in your name. Amen. Thank you very much for joining me tonight, and I trust this has been a blessing to you. Share the program with your friends. We'll appreciate it. Good night. Thank you for listening to Dr. Hal Brady, whose television broadcast is seen weekly in Atlanta on the Atlanta Interfaith Broadcasters Network. Dr. Brady's sermons are also available online and ministry updates are posted on Facebook. With your help, we are able to share the gospel online and on the air. So please consider a donation to Hal Brady Ministries. Donations can be mailed to Hal Brady Ministries, Inc., Post Office Box 1367, Decatur, Georgia, 30031, or you can give securely online at halbradyministries.com. We are grateful for your prayers and support and hope you'll continue to partner with us. If you have any prayer requests, please be in touch. Thank you.